My guest today is Jackie Carey, and Jackie is the director of enterprise sales with Domo. And I met Jackie, uh, it was a, actually where I came to know Jackie, it was in a LinkedIn comment that she left, and it was in relation to sales methodologies, and more importantly, the idea of mastery. And that's something that I will be exploring with Jackie today. But before we do that, I'd like to formally welcome you, Jackie. And I'd like to ask you a little bit about where you're from. What was it like? Hi. So uh, so where was I from? Right. I'm, I'm one of those people, actually, that I'm still living where I grew up. But as a caveat to that, I, um, I did spend um, a few years up north while I was at university doing my first degree. So I live in a place called Best Buy Fleet in Surrey. Um, and as I say, I went to school here. I grew up with my parents. Um, my parents had their own business in a completely different sector to what I'm in now. But from a very young age, I um, was always involved in that. Um, and yeah, I just naturally fell into sales and then naturally fell into um, IT sales after I left university. Mm. I, I, I spent time, I lived in Leicester for two years, Jackie. I don't know how the people of Leicester would take to being it be described as up north uh no my first degree was in manchester ah okay okay well that's fair enough my masters in um, i saw your masters in leicester they wouldn't like that one bit no no they wouldn't um okay and so talk to me about that because i'm 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 curious to know if there's anything in your background that might have given some clues as to a sales career yeah, I think so. My parents had um, uh, a garage, so car mechanics, um, but had a shop front that would sell, you know, the, the the parts to people that were wanting to do their own car sort of fixing. Um, and from a really young age, I would work in there, and you know, I would naturally sort of lean into upsell and you know, really you know, get to know my customers, and it was just like a natural. I just always felt that it was a natural. I was never embarrassed to ask for more. I was, you know, never frightened to close on people, um, you know, and it was just something that I think I naturally was comfortable doing um, yeah. and I identified that actually I could probably make a lot of money. I mean, I was a single parent for a long time as well, bringing my kids up. So there was always that thirst for or need for earning good money. And I think sales enables that, right? whatever about earning good money Jackie how do you how do you manage that how do you manage being a single parent and and a career and clearly one that's been very successful for you um I think I think it's having good support infrastructure I'm not going to sit here and say that yeah look at me I did it all by myself right you know I had fantastic parents who um had always been very supportive of me so that was an enabler um, but it's time management. It's it's understanding like what tasks need to be done where and which is your quickest route to success mm. and, you know, not being a busy fool. And I mm. think working parent has that advantage is time isn't on their hands. So they mm. don't get to procrastinate. You're kind of right. I've got this amount of hours. I've got to work today. I've got to get this done. You kind of just get on and do it. And then, you know, I call them my two reasons for everything, right? My kids, because that is what I used to get up every morning. And that, and that was my motivation, right? I wanted to give them the life I had had. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that how the just ha having to do that in terms of being structured, planning, how that can then bleed over into a sales career, how important that is. 
Uh, curious enough, you were always like that, if you were a planner and structured and organised, or was that foisted upon you? Um, I think there was always elements of that. I think, you know, I always liked to be, for want of a better word, in control. Um, and I think you can't be in control without a few lists and um, yeah. a few sort yeah. of uh, time-bound activities that had to be completed. Um, but no, I think that it was definitely thrust upon me, um, and I had to I had to really upskill quickly on that because I think the time management piece is you clock watch as a as a parent, like you have to be back, um, and so you know if you're in a meeting, you you can't be let led down a a different rabbit hole because you're kind of there to get a result because you know yeah. you need to be out to get the train to get back for the child minder, right? So it it kind of helps you to be very focused, I think. Mm. You're not eldest child in your family by any chance? No, I'm the youngest. Interesting. Yeah. Because normally that the idea of being wanting to be in control tends to be associated with eldest children or where there's a massive gap. So it's, I always find it interesting when you look at personality types and their their influences as they grew up and what their home environment. And you mentioned that you grew up where your parents had a business. And I always think that's also a, a uh, I don't want to say it's not an advantage, but it's certainly helpful when you want to go out and, 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 and be in sales or start your own business because it feels familiar. And it, you, you get that grounding at a very young age in dealing with people and customers. Because and, I think it's more than just dealing with people. It's dealing with customers is, is, is a different skill set. Yeah, I agree. And I think I had two really fantastic role models. And my dad was a hustler. So I think I inherited quite a lot of his sort of his wheelie dealing kind of sort of uh, he was a natural salesman as well, whereas my mum was always the brains behind the business. Right. So she was the one that that ran it sort of from the background, you know, doing all the operational financial pieces. So I think having two really strong role models, it, it, was, it was very inspirational for me. And I definitely just I was my daddy's girl, right? So wherever my dad was as a young girl, I was I wasn't far behind, you know. Uh, whether it was under a bonnet with him, or like literally sort of driving around delivering, or working as I say in the front shop. So I think I learned the I learned a trade early on, and I, mm. I, it became part of my growing up just to to earn money, be involved in the business. And I think that yeah, it definitely definitely gave me a good yeah. Start. So you got that sense, you got the work ethic clearly from your yeah. parents and you got that schooling in terms of dealing with people. Yeah. Uh, when you went, because you, you volunteered to stay on in college to do an MBA, right? Uh, did you go straight to do the MBA or was there a gap? No, there was a bigger, there was a really big gap. I actually okay. did that when, um, when my daughter was a couple of years old. So I, I only completed it about eight years ago. So... I, I did my first degree. I then <clears throat> went out and I worked um, and then I worked while I had my son um, and then my daughter came along <clears throat> and then I, yeah, I went back. I, and and look, rightly or wrongly, I went back because I really felt that a woman in IT, and if you think 15, 10, 15 years ago, we were very few and far between and it mm. was it was a tough gig. It, you know, we weren't mm. as focused on diversity as we are now. Um so I kind of thought, you know what, I need to go back and differentiate myself. I need to yeah. have something that's going to help me progress. Yeah. And actually what it did do, because I actually wrote my dissertation on the changing world of buyers and what actually should 
sales professionals be using to um to you know to to work with them because it was no longer one person buying it was you know it was suddenly become a committee and it was just a changing world so i reviewed a lot of sales methodologies um and my conclusion in a nutshell was look there's not one one that's going to cover it you, you need to be agile based on who you're selling what you're selling and who you're talking to I'd like to talk to you about that dissertation, if you wouldn't mind, because that's something you obviously put a ton of work into. Um, and, and I've seen that over the years that people, you know, there's nowadays there's far more touch points and more people involved in the buying process. Why did that change take place? Because I can't think back to a time when there wasn't many people. I worked in, I was worked on the buying side. Now, not as a procurement person, but I was a technical person. And so I would have had a small role in the evaluation of technology into, it was AT&T Istel up in Redditch. That was where I first worked. I, I told I because I, I saw that you'd gone to Leicester and I, I had applied to Leicester back well, a good while ago and, and I didn't get accepted, but I'd also applied to Staffordshire, Polly at the time and uh, did get accepted. So I went there and then went from into, to uh, Nottingham. Um, but sorry, I wanted to ask you about the, uh, I, in, in the buying role, when, when we would have bought in products into AT&T, into the network, there would have been several people involved in it at some level or other. So when, when did that change happen? I think when we potentially moved more to cloud because all of the governance needed, there would be more stakeholders involved. And I think it, it, it sort of just spread. They wanted to spread the risk. I don't think one person wanted to say, I'm going to make such a big change because what's the, what's the famous saying? No one ever got sacked for buying mm. Microsoft, right? So I think that when they're sort of all these different, I mean, I don't know the answer, but I think one of the, you know, in my dissertation, I wasn't sort of holding on to why that happened. It was more mm. the internet explosion where people yeah. started to research more. They were coming to us more educated, whereas there was a period early on in SAS where we could go and educate them um, and we would find that one person that had that yeah. problem to solve. Whereas technology now, they kind of want to reduce the number of systems so that they don't mm. overload their users. They want to get as much value out of it. So it covers mm. more people because they want to get better return on investment. So mm. I think that, you know, particularly when I was selling Concur, which we were known for that expense solution, but actually we were an employee spend platform that did invoicing travel. You'd actually have a better deal if you did include more people because you could solve more business issues. So I think it was the turning of SaaS. It was the need for greater security. I think people wanted to de-risk it. Nobody wanted that one responsibility. But also it was if you know if you're smart, you'll grow out your opportunity to as many stakeholders as possible because the more people you've got saying yes, the quicker you'll get to that solution and that and, and that positive outcome. Mm. Actually, I think I think you I think the answer, I, well, at least some part of it, is in what you just said, because of again, it's something that's been on my mind, not obviously constantly, but it's something that has crossed it, which is. Over the last few years, there's been a huge change, and with change comes risk. And I think wherever you have risk in buying, people want to cover their backside a little bit and bring more people. And uh, and I, I mean that's that's an, that's a, a a rational thing to do. And wait, when and it's a good thing to do because you're getting greater perspectives, but you're also spreading the risk. Yeah. Uh, 
Whereas where something doesn't change very much and it's well understood, you don't need a committee to buy that. I also, I think you said something about the internet explosion where perhaps stakeholders in an organization, let's say it's IT, where the buyer might be targeted, might be the IT director, but the stakeholders in the organization can do their own research. Right. And then want to get involved because they're ultimately going to be uh, implementing this. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think organizations have matured as well, right? Because when I look back into my early days, there weren't procurement teams, there weren't you know there weren't teams that you know sourcing kind of and that just adds a new layer of complexity as well right and you know depending on the size of the organization how involved they get and how early they get involved right so I just think I just think business changed um, and it evolved and it just grew bigger Um, there's a couple of things Jackie I'd like to talk to you about and so we could maybe give it some time one was on mastery which I mentioned and the other one was you referred to was one of the reasons why you wanted to go do the MBA was that you felt there weren't that many women represented in particularly in IT sales at the time and I noticed from your LinkedIn profile there was a, a few posts that that alluded to that which is important to you, which right. is the role of women in leadership and, and, and in sales. Can you talk to me about, a little bit about that, what that journey's been like? And what I'm interested in as well is maybe some examples of some of the hurdles you've come up against and also a kind of a reality check on where we are because things are changing. There's no question about it. So it's kind of like much done, much to do, but where are we from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I'm very careful with this because I know there's a lot of work still to do. But what I don't want to do, um, and, and, I've, and I've sometimes come to lock aheads with other women on this, is create a subgroup, right, um, where, you know, we pull it so far that we're suddenly doing what we're not happy with right so it's about equality for me and just ensuring that the right people get hired for the right roles and it's a fit based on their skill set their personality their culture mm-hmm. um but i think it's definitely come a long way and i think you know that a lot of women have a, a, got a lot to give but it comes with those additional challenges that we still want to be mothers so it's, it's a balance and i think the the most important thing and the hardest lesson i learned actually was you've got to own it. And, and often women aren't good at owning things because we're not the, the sort of people that push ourselves forward as much. And, you know, and I think that any woman, the advice I would always give any woman is like, you, you've got to have your plan and you've got to own that plan. Um, and, you know, once you've got that plan, you've got to communicate it because we assume that we should get promoted on merit. But if you haven't indicated you want to be promoted and you're not putting yourself forward and you're not developing a plan and getting somebody that's going to be your champion and coach, just like you would in a sales cycle, you're, you're not going to get the, the desired outcome. So mm-hmm. I think the message that we need to get out to women is, look, you can do whatever you want to do, right, because there is no gender divide. Make sure that you know what you want to do. You build that plan and you and you work it and you communicate it. So I think all the time that that message gets out and we give the women the confidence to do that, we're just going to keep going great guns. Mm. I want to make sure I've understood you correctly. Are you, are, what I've heard is if you make an issue out of it 
too much, it act, that becomes the issue. I think if we start to um, keep pushing forward with women, 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 like having an International Women's Day, and which is great, do we have an International Men's Day? It's kind of, I just want equality. And it, it's the same across the board with everything, regardless of gender, it's colour, it's, it's like it, we are just we're one race right so let's let's all just work together yeah. and accept each other as people not yeah. as genders and i think that for me i never wanted to join too heavily into the whole women in business part because i still feel i can learn a lot from men and i don't want to isolate myself or segregate myself or start to build this big swirl that then is going to isolate us and, and, and take us out of that integration even more. It's about integrating and it's about changing the hearts and minds and, and, and helping the advancement of seeing us all as one instead of building subgroups that then just create, divide more. My, that, but that's just my opinion, right? It's just my yeah. opinion. Because I know that there's a lot of people that feel very hard done by and have had situations where they have been maybe overlooked because of, being a woman or whatever so I get where that all comes from mm -hmm. but for me if we truly want to have you know integration we have to stay together and just do it together and it's about education and then it's about owning it yourself and having the confidence to do that yeah for sure I, I noticed one of the posts was about Domo being a voted or winning some award for being a great place for women what is it about it that promotes that because I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying i'd like to kind of get a, a company perspective on the kind of things for other people listening into that might be interested in how they achieve more of what you're talking about what and, and also maybe tell us a little bit about domo as well for those who don't aren't, aren't familiar with the company yeah so um so the reason domo are you know it wins the awards and it gets recognition for it is because we've got some really senior women running our business right so we don't just talk about it you know we lead by example so mm. you know, our chief product officer you know is a woman um we've got a lot of c-level um execs um and and they've been here a while we can actually demonstrate that they've been invested in and they've progressed so mm. Um, it wasn't a, oh, we need to get our, div our diversity numbers up, so we're going to suddenly hire a load of really brilliant women. It was actually they've been invested in and promoted and have worked their way up. So I think it's it's kudos to the fact that it's well-deserved. Um, and, you know, in the UK arm of the business, EMEA, you know, we've we've got some very strong female leads as well. Um, and, and again, it is it, it's not pointed out. It's not obvious. We've just got sales leaders and the best people have been hired for the role. And I think that's what attracted me to Domo because I've only been with Domo a few months, having a really long tenure with Concur. Mm. So um, so for those that don't know Domo, Domo, um, we're not a new company, but we're definitely pushing the modern BI for all message. Um, it's it's a fantastic tool, and actually, it's revolutionised my my role in sales leadership just from the insights it gives me. It's a it's a focus, right? So, you know, we've lots of different obviously BI tools out there, but we're very much sort of in built for everyone, the end user. You don't have to be technical and time for 
speed to value, uh, connectivity, being able to pull data together very quickly from lots of different sort of sources. So it's uh, an end-to-end platform for managing data from the point of ingestion through to transformation, through to visualization. Um, mm. It's a definitely a modern twist. Okay, sounds to me like it's more of a user-centric tool than an IT-centric tool. Yeah, 100%, but it is relevant for IT as well because a lot of their challenges is making the data speak to each other, right? Um, and we have that connectivity, quick quick connectivity, lots of connectors, et cetera. But, yeah. but actually the value definitely is the but giving the insights to the, with the right governance, but giving the, yeah. the insights to the right people so that they can make the sensible business decisions, they can act quickly um, without having to wait for a use case to be put together for IT to make it all sort of fit together and transform the data and then sort of ingest it and extract, et cetera. So, you know, it's, um, it's definitely for the users, you're right, um, but it's not to exclude IT because sure. obviously they have a place. Yeah, you just don't need an, a degree in IT to use it. Or... Yeah, exactly right. You don't, um, and and that's and that's the the reality is you know organisations need to act fast. Data is the heart of what they do, um, mm. and, and often if you haven't got reliable data, you can make some very dangerous decisions. Yeah. So having that governance around the data is key as well. So. Mm. But for me as a sales leader, like I used to have to spend ages working out my deltas, spreadsheets, pulling data in from Salesforce and and then looking at you know the commissions and making sure everything I have just one amazing cockpit now that even alerts me when I'm you know, my pipe is maybe going less than, than it needs to be and who the culprits are and it's incredible. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, not only is it a fantastic place to work from a diversity perspective, it's a great tool that's just helped my life. And and uh, yeah, it, it sounds sounds to me what you're saying. It's an all around great place to work. Oh no, it really, really is. I've loved yeah. it. I mean, it was a big risk for me because I love Concur as well, and yeah. I was there eleven years, and that became yeah. like a family. So yeah. uh, it was going to take a very special place to to yeah. make me move. Um, cool. But you know, I've, I'm loving it. Cool. I want to talk to you then, uh, Jackie, about mastery, and this is where I got in contact with you originally. I had seen a comment you'd put on a post that was around. Somebody was asking about what's your best methodology, or what's your what methodology you, you would you vote as the best? Which is a crazy question in the first place. And and I thought you made a really excellent comment because you looked at you know this person who asked the question put up a number, and you you said basically look they all have their place they all have something to contribute and you were you know you said medic was a great as a framework you mentioned sandler its strengths you mentioned challenger its strengths but you had one comment which me stood out was and that was it's great if you spend the time to master it and it's something i rarely see people do i see them like a butterfly flitter from one to the other hoping to find an answer without investing the time and I've, I've always had that challenge in classrooms myself. People say, oh, uh, I did this before. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, right? But have you mastered it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I had one guy once who I, 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 I had gotten this so many times. Oh, we've done this before. Was uh, I s- said to a class once, look, if you've done this before and you're, you've mastered it, you can leave. One guy got up to leave. And as he was passing me by, I said, before you go, maybe you could just take that, the, the flip, 
pen and flip chart and just give us a five minute overview of it. He just sat back down, sat back down. And so I want to talk to you about that. What's your own experience of it? And um, have you, have you any solutions? Cause I'd love to hear one, please. No, I think uh, there's no silver bullet, right? Um, I think it comes from, and it has to be top down, right? There has to be an investment first from the organization that this is what we want our guys to use because we see the benefit from it. And then I think the the first line man- managers have a responsibility to include it in all of their talk tracks, right? And and in their team meetings and then encourage the the practicing of the role plays um, because you're absolutely right. You know, you can teach somebody to you blue in the face, but if if they're not actually practicing it and implementing it, um, but you have to have a safe environment. It's kind of okay to fail at it the first time because I think particularly the Sandler techniques, which by the way, I'm a huge fan of, particularly like negative reversing. As salespeople, we're taught to sell, 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 be positive, be positive. And actually flipping that and actually saying a negative mm. comment is hard for a salesperson because they think that they're failing at being positive and failing at being, you know, a good salesperson. But the reality is you're never going to get a quicker response to the truth to either let you qualify out or actually find out what the issues could be to change your game plan unless you do, because you're making it so easy for them to tell you the truth. Um, but it's, it's not easy. So I always say to my guys, look, how did you learn your times table? It was repetition, wasn't it? One times two is two. You kept going till it became, that's where you kind of have to get to with any new technique. Um, and I do a lot of role plays with my team. They hate me for it. Of course they hate me for it. Um, but, you know, we have fun with it so they know it's a safe environment. Mm. But it's the best way for them to master it. And then you have to, particularly like, have you got your upfront contract prepped? You know, run me through your upfront contract. And because explaining to them the benefits they're going to get. And then, of course, there's nothing greater than getting the results and then seeing the results for themselves. And I think that then helps reinforce it. But it's got to be built into their everyday conversation. It's got to be built into one-to-ones. It's got to be built into deal reviews. Because you can do the medic check, right? But what I think with um, with the Sandler, for example, is it tells you the how. Mm. Um, it gives you the tips of how to do it, how to control the conversation by having an upfront contract, how to uncover pain by using the pain funnel, you know, and then, you know, how to actually get the answer to questions you need by reversing, negative reversing. Um, I think other... T- other methodologies are just a framework like uh, like medics are great sort of um, compass how to get you from A to B. But I think you need to teach the guys the skills of how to do it. You know, how do you test a champion? How do you uncover pain? And I think that's where sort of the sandless yeah. techniques really yeah. help uncover it. Yeah. I often think of it as a, if you think of it as a Formula One that you have the the driver the car and then the support systems around them in any organization and people tend to focus on the car it's got all the dials it's it's finely tuned that's the process and they forget that the person driving the car their attitudes their beliefs their their techniques in terms of how they visualize and handle a corner for example that's often forgotten but people just deal with the what's 
So uh, I'm glad you, it's interesting to see. And I, and I, and I really want people to, to listen to this because what you're saying is gold. I don't people realize how important it is. And, and you said something really important, which is I practice with my guys and they hate me for it. And that shows a huge sense of, of, of self-awareness and willingness, you know, to, to understand that, you know, we're, we're not, we're not in work to make friends. If we make friends, that's great. I'm not, not dissing it. I'm just saying that when it, when it comes to mastery, it's difficult and it takes time and it takes persistence and you have to feel awkward, feel stupid, fall down, bloody your nose, get back up, do it again. And, uh, that, that's, that's always been my, I've been doing this 20 years and I naively thought <laughs> I could fix that. And, uh, I just, I, and I don't understand, maybe you could give me some insight into this and maybe it's probably one of the reasons why I, I would be a square peg in a round hole in any corporate environment environment is that I feel like if I'm the boss and I'm paying somebody, I'm paying you to do it the way I want it done, not your way. And I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to invest time and money, et cetera, and helping you get there, which, which is what you're doing. But I just see so few other people do this. They'll, they'll, they'll put people on a training course and they'll come back, but they, they won't in, reinforce it. They won't inspect what they expect. They won't do the role plays. They won't do the, the, the stand and deliver, the practice sessions at a brown bag Friday lunchtime session or whatever it is. It's like, not done, boxes ticked. And I'm, I'm sure you've come up against that attitude. Can it be fixed? Is there anything you can do about it? And I'm talking about reps here. I'm talking about management that don't hold people accountable. You know, it's again, it's, it's like a difficult, difficult question to answer because you've got a team full of individuals um, and you've got lots of different motivations within that team, um, yeah. lots of different sort of levels of ability. Um, but I think that's the skill of a sales leader. And look, I haven't mastered it 100% yet because, you know, I've got some that, you know, it's still like pushing treacle uphill and then I've got others that have embraced it. Um, but it's it, it's allowing them to fail as well. I think that's really important. It's, you know, giving them the freedom to say, look, um, give it a try um, and, and see if it works for you. And and I generally believe as well that there might be times when they know better than me that maybe it isn't right to do that. Um, and as long as you're having that open, healthy debate, they start to trust you you then can start to trust them that they're going to do the right thing. So I think it's always embrace the differences in your team. Um, and then I actively encourage um, us to talk in our team kickoff meetings on a Monday, what worked well, and what didn't work well. And it's, it's good to hear them from their peers, you know, like somebody actually, um, I suggested a fall away email and they were a bit skeptical. They sent a fall away email and within 10 minutes got a response to say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I've just had this other priority, but I'm going to get back onto this. Let's schedule a meeting for two weeks. And it was like, oh, this, this is like magic. It works. And then that inspired somebody else to then go, oh, I might actually then give that a try. So I think it's allowing them to try it at their pace, but with enough pressure that they know that actually there's a better way of doing it, but giving them the confidence that they can try it. And if it doesn't quite work out, know that they're going to have somebody to talk to about it. And maybe was it their delivery? Was it? So I think it's, it, it just has to be part of your everyday. It's the responsibility of the sales lead to make sure that they're accountable but you have to be accountable. You have to be committed to it. 
But I think that has to come from you believing it as well, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes if you've never been a rep yourself and you've never used something, you don't quite see the beauty of it. But as yeah. being a rep and kind of I, I, I lived by Sandler as a rep. Um, Were you trained by Ganesh by any chance? By? Ganesh. Guru no. Ganesh. No. Okay, because no. I thought he'd done work with Concord. That's why I asked because you, you clearly know your stuff. No, um, I'm trying to think now um, who it was. I, I'll come back to you. But no, uh, I've yeah, it doesn't matter. I just, I just wondered because, as you said, I, I thought it was he had done some work there. Anyway, um, I can I can imagine there's people listening to this who have no experience or understanding of Sandler, and you mentioned the fallaway email, and they're going to be wondering what's that. And particularly, you said it it works wonders, which it does. Uh, magically and again the amount of skepticism you get when people you say look just send this it will work and they go yeah right and then they come back it worked it worked <laughs> maybe you could tell people what the follower email is yeah it's funny actually because there's a guy in my team that keeps calling it the breakup email and i keep saying to i him, call it that too <laughs> i call it i i have it written down as dear at the dear john email. <laughs> right right um although he's a bit too young if i said dear john to him he'd go huh yeah. um <laughs> But uh, the follow-up email is when you just literally send them an email to say, look, you know, we spoke about this being a priority to you. This was the challenges you had. So you reiterate back what you've heard from them. But then you kind of say, I haven't heard from you for a couple of weeks. And in my experience, if you go quiet on me, it's one of two things. Either it's no longer a priority or you've already fixed it with, with maybe another supplier. Um, just, 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 you know, stand me down, right? You make it easy for them to tell you. Um and it, 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 it kind of triggers their guilt. They kind of think, oh, yeah, I kind of do owe an explanation. And, and the good thing is that they'll either come back and tell you the truth and then you qualify out. Don't waste any more time on chasing them, which is just fool's work. Um, or they apologize and they tell you the truth of why they haven't been in contact. And then you can move it yeah. along. Yeah. I have one, by the way, that has four options in it. Oh, go on. So the first two, you said uh, uh, no, longer, no longer a priority. Uh, you found another solution, but you're too you're too nice to break the bad news to me. Yeah, or you fixed it internally. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, three uh, something I didn't think of, which kind of covers all your bases. Yeah. Uh, four, you're trapped under a heavy object, and you're trying to get to the. You're desperately trying to reach me by phone. Sorry, you're desperately trying to reach me, but you're trapped under a heavy object. And, and that that actually is quite a. It's it's kind of will make people smile. It's it's just a bit yeah. of humor. And uh, or you're 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 trying to email me, but your 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 server's down or something like that. You can you can make you can make it up. But uh, and then the 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 PS, uh, if it's number four, reply and I'll send help. Oh, very good. But, yeah, uh, but it's good. it's again. It's I I think the key thing to make it is to make it light, not serious. Yeah. Um. But again, you're covering all your bases with why somebody and you're right. I would say fifty percent of the time you'll get. Um. Oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. Look, I, I just had other things on my plate. Yes, it's still on. You will absolutely get the, yeah, you're right. It's no longer a priority or we've gone with another option, which again, people don't, don't understand why that's so important. It really is. And uh, once I got, which was the, the mistake sometimes people make, and I've made this myself, is they send it too soon. Uh, I think you have to leave a little bit of time, maybe three weeks from the last when, from yeah. when it went completely dead, because I got one said, you you missed out option number five. I've been on holidays for the last three weeks. I've just got back. 
<laughs> Lesson learned though, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Lesson learned. I didn't make that mistake again. I said, how long are holidays? Okay, three weeks in Europe. I'll make sure that it won't happen within three weeks. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because anything can happen within three weeks, you know, or, or God forbid somebody has somebody who's really sick or, and they're out. That would be a, um, a faux pas, no question. But yeah, I, it's, yeah. It's, 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 amazing. it's amazingly effective. And I have people to this day will send me uh, responses that they get from, from prospects where they had just gone dead completely. But uh, however. We actually, we actually had a response from one um, saying, I really like that approach because yeah. it was so polite, but it was in, enough of a in, enough of communication to make him respond. So, but I think there's a, there's another elephant in the room here why people don't always want to to use those techniques is the fact that they might not have enough pipe, and they want to mm. hold on to everything that they've got because they you know they they can't bear the thought of actually having to close something yeah. unsuccessfully. So I think. You combine all of those those options together, and I think that's sometimes why people are yeah. a bit sort of resident to time yeah. change approaches. And that's 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 a really interesting thing, Jackie, as well, because one of the things that technique is often taught because you know the follow-up email is just a form of negative reverse, essentially. Yeah. But people often forget that it requires a supporting attitude in order to do it. You have to be detached from the outcome. You know, I have to be, you know, that expression, I'm financially independent. I don't need the business. If you, yeah. if you don't have that, you desperately need the deal. You're so right. And people often forget that when they teach technique is that you've got to also have people in the right mindset and teach them the techniques of getting into that detached mindset as well. Um, and that's that's you know it's that behavior attitude technique side of yeah. it is really important. Anyway, listen, I don't want to get into the weeds on Sandra. That's not what the purpose of this is about. I am interested, as I said, in, in the mastery side, and I think that I think the key message is it's practice, practice, practice. In fact, it was interesting. Uh, Seth Godin, who I'm a huge fan of. I don't know if you're how familiar you are with Seth's work. Um, hugely inspirational and, and innovative in the area of a real thought leader in the area of marketing. He's written several books and his latest one, I've only seen a podcast or video on it, so I haven't read it yet, but it's a whole book dedicated to practice and how important practice is. And this the whole idea. It's the journey. And he, he was given this example. and I haven't even finished the video yet. It's a two hour video, but he was given this example. Somebody was asking him and he was doing this workshop with creatives. And he said, is there one thing that you can point to that said, if people do it, that they'll end up in a much better place. And he, yeah, he said, streaks. He said, do a hundred days of something, whatever, it, whatever it is. If you're a writer, it's writing. If you're want to practice a particular sales technique, methodology process, whatever it is to work on it for a hundred days. And if you can do that, then you've mastered it, you own it. And I just thought that that whole idea of the solution maybe to mastery is just, I think the veneration of practice. And we, I don't think we put practice up on a pedestal enough. No, um, I don't think we hold our guys accountable for it either, right? Because like to your point, you know, they invest all this and you do the sales training and then there might be a few bit of work to do afterwards, but then it kind of just gets parked 
it, it you know you have to encourage that practice you and you have to keep you know it, building it into your talk track and into your meetings into your deal reviews so it becomes a common language but yeah, it, it has to be because particularly the negative reversing, because as I said, that I think that is a skill that takes a lot of practice and, and to know when to use it as well. But mm. if mastered, it mm. then becomes part of your DNA and then it rolls off the tongue and it's delivered in a natural fashion as well that, mm. that just just brings so many benefits. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the transition from sales into leadership what were the things you discovered about yourself that you didn't know? And maybe what are the kind of things that, what are the kind of, yeah, speed bumps that you ran into that you had to dig deep to overcome in order to improve and, and get better in a, in a sales leadership role? Yeah, this is going to come no surprise to you. Um, I think the first year or so, I found it really hard to let go. Um, and I was probably, um, I feel, and I look back now and I sort of feel bad for my first team because they must have thought that, you know, my goodness, um, I was in, I wanted to be involved in everything. And I generally thought I was helping um, because, you know, I had sold successfully um, and I wanted them to have that success so I could see things when they were going a little bit south. And, you know, and I wanted to do it for them. And and I think what you do in that situation is you start to disable them because they stop thinking for themselves. They stop being creative and you sort of do that point and click. And and there's, you, you know, that that whole sort of treating them all the same as well. So I think the first two things that I had to really dig deep on was you know, lead to, don't tell, stop being that teller and actual situational leadership, you know, when do you need to step in? I liken it now myself to, a you know, a, a boxing match, right? So, you know, hopefully I can be ringside most of the time, just sort of watching and guiding, taking notes. But there are times I have to hold a spit bucket. Um, mm. And then there's times I have to step aside, get the boxing gloves on and just do it myself. Those are the times mm. I don't like to do, but they're times mm. that sometimes they need as well. So, mm. um, yeah, they were my biggest learnings was, you know, don't tell, um, lead to. Um, and then I invested a lot of time sort of on the coaching side and, um, and, and also how to sort of to the point of implement the training uh, to give them the, the power, enable them to do it themselves um and then yeah the the sort of the others the other side was treating them all as individuals and understanding mm. their motivation and not blanket manage yeah in what ways then have you noticed you've changed in your parenting style as a result of what you've learned in a professional context I'm obviously not going to let my son watch this because I don't want him to realize the um the skills that I use but <laughs> I and this is honestly, without a word of a lie, um, very quickly into my training on negative reversing, it dawned on me that that was the best way to manage my son and get him to do things I didn't want him to do by telling him, I'm not going to ask you to come because you don't want you, I know you don't want to, or I know you won't come. Well, why won't I come? You know, like, um, so, uh, yes, I, d I don't necessarily have to do it as much with my daughter. Not that she's my favourite child, but just uh, she's she's not quite as 
not yeah. quite as what's the word I'm looking for stubborn as as yeah. my son so yeah no <laughs> I think absolutely um you, if you need something and you need something done you have to plan it out and mm. yeah, yeah there's definitely some uh some sounds that they've thrown in there for uh, getting him to do what I need him to do without him realizing he's. You said something that's really important that I think a lot of people miss as well when they use that technique is that when you learn it first and you, and you get it, people can overuse it, and you can actually negative you know reverse your way out of out of a conversation. And what you said is is really important is that you use it with your you use it where there's resistance. Your, yeah. And when your son is resistant, but your daughter isn't, so why would you use it? Yeah. But I have seen people, and I've seen Sandra people, and they they, they use it in every situation. I'm thinking, for God's sake, would you stop? Yeah. It's it's it it becomes obvious then. It becomes actually annoying, frankly. But uh, when it's used judiciously like that, there's nothing like it. It's really powerful. Um, and I think that comes back to the point of being. And again, this is not something I'm sure you can teach. You can encourage, but mm. that agility piece, right? Because, you know, there's certain situations actually where, you know, a buyer will come to you and they'll be very prescriptive in what they need. And actually, we kind of know that that's only like a small part. You know, there's so much more. And as yeah. a challenge is better for that, for the like the irrational drowning and emotional impact and kind of stuff. So, you know, they're... But it's it's having the skill to identify who you're talking to, what their drivers are, what their outcomes are, and then being very quick on the fly to be agile, to think, actually, maybe this is a better scenario to do that. And I I don't think many people have got that kit bag and also have the confidence to move away. Because I've seen it before where someone's, I'm going to get through this upfront contract. And clearly it's not working, but I'm going to get through it. Whereas Mm. taking a breath, pausing and going, right, this might not be working right now. I'm going to flip to something else or I'm just going to just roll with it. I think sometimes it's more powerful. Um, And again, it's empowering the guys to do that. It's like, well, what do you think? You know, you know more, you tell me what you think. So the importance of planning, but then the importance of in the moment being able to go, well, actually, I might plan for something that's not working out too well now. I need to flip it and have the confidence to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very true with that one. And again, I think just people need to get some sense of the techniques first, but you're right then. Often they, they they hold onto it like a like a drowning man, and they, they don't want to let go of it. And I heard a great expression years ago called it was a Japanese term, and it's like be hard like water. You know, water changes its properties depending on how you approach it. You you can slip into it, and it just envelops itself around you. Or if you hit it hard, it's like concrete. Right. And and I think that's true with personalities too. Now you used a term a few moments ago that I'd never heard before, at least, and 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 I'd love you to explain it. It was now I've almost was it in, wasn't intellectual drowning. It was um, there's um, rational drowning. Rational drowning. Sorry, and rational drowning. Impact. It's a great. It sounds like. A, could you please tell me what it is? Because I've not heard that term before. And, uh, and and maybe give me some context to how it's where it's used. Um, so when when you um, talk about it's it's part of the challenger st- stack. So when, when you talk about challenger, it's about leading them to a new way. 
Um, and the rational drowning is actually almost like making them feel sick about their process. So it's kind of another way of extracting pain, but it's it's extracting pain that they didn't realize they had. So mm. if they were kind of talking about one area of their business, it's then sort of leading it towards a mm. differentiator of your tool that actually will have an impact on them, but wasn't their primary concern. And then just keep taking them down the stages of the impact of them not addressing mm. it. Mm. Um, and then that, then you, the, so you flip it to the emotional impact, which is about how it affects them. So kind of like yeah. the stages of, of the, the pain funnel, really. Yeah, I was going to say, it does really yeah. sound like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 But then you, and then, but at the end, you kind of lead them to the unite, you, you know, you made them feel sick, yeah. but then you kind of gone, but it's okay. Cause we can, you know, you lead them to the new way of, and, and that's your sort of solution. So, but it's yeah. kind of a bit more challenging what, they come to talk to you about. And I think a great way of, would we would be, we would go to talk to them about expenses, for example, um, and they only wanted to talk about that expense piece, but we would then say, well, hang on, you need to talk about employee spend because they're spending money, but they may be processing invoices and they're booking travel. That's one of the same process. If you just focus on this, you're only fixing this part. And actually, if you don't focus on this part and then you take them down that what the, that will mean, to the business the impact of it and then you take it down emotionally to them as well and then you go but it's okay because we've got a platform for that yeah 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 so it's a kind of a i, I get it i get it. so you're it's not a cross sell it's just you're, you're you're exploring to other areas that they haven't considered yet yeah you're challenging them right you're, yeah. you're challenging them against what they they think they need because sometimes what they think they need and what they want or actually what oh, they yeah. need are very very you different. all the time see it all the time i had a guy this particular guy i'm thinking of his last job he's, he's now a sander guy trainer but he was working with one of the largest software companies in the world and he was the global head of sales and then he kind of semi-retired and took out a sander business so i say that by way of just context in terms of he this guy not alone understands good questioning and interrogation he teaches it too and he was asking me about what my setup is here in terms of lighting and so on. And he, you know, with the pandemic, most people are working from home or just using Zoom on a camera on a laptop, which, which is fine when you're just communicating one-to-one. -one, but if you're training and you want to leverage, um, and, and I guess, to, to, to up, up that game. And he says to me, what camera are you using? And... I told him and he looked it up and he goes, oh, that's way too expensive. And I said, yeah, I said, but you didn't ask me the, the, the question you should have asked me. Now, of course, I could say that to him, right? He's not a prospect. Right? That's not, not exactly nurturing. And he <laughs> said, what question should I have asked you? I said, you should have asked me what camera would I recommend? And also I said, that whether the camera is even the most important element. Because what he wanted was this setup that I have here in terms of lighting and background fall off, all of that. And he thought the answer was in the camera and it's right. not the camera is one of the least important elements. The lighting is the most important element. The lens is the second most, you know, and so on. But a lot of people think because it makes sense to them that they, they know what the answer is. And, 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 and it's a real skill set, I think to be able to then lead them down a different path without them feeling stupid. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I'm hearing for you in terms of what the uh, rational drowning is.
Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it definitely, it definitely is. It's just helping them to think differently, but make sure it's affecting them. So it's not somebody else's problem because then they'll they'll care less. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I also say to my my guys, like, find your inner child. You know, when you were a child, but why? But why? But why? That's who you have to become, right? Because so often I'll say, oh, so why are they doing this then? Oh, because they need greater visibility into um, their marketing. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they're going to invest money just to give them better reports. Yeah. Mm, are they, though? <laughs> what, that, that's not why they're doing it. That's a kind of a want. That's an mm. object, you know, objective they're trying to achieve. Go go back and 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 use the pain funnel and really find out what's happening, and then they'll come back and go. Do you know she's spending all weekend building reports? Oh, there you go. Does she want to be doing that? No, yeah. you know it's you know I'm, I'm yeah, being yeah. open, but but it is yeah. that. No, you're a fair point. Why. Absolutely. Yeah. People just I, take their first answer, and I always say to my guys, don't just take the first answer. Just yeah. ask them to tell you more about it. Give them ask for some specific examples, you know, to say because and be conversational. Don't be like reading off a, a, yep. a question sheet. Yep. But I think that's it. If you just encourage them to be inquisitive, yeah, um, absolutely. That questions will follow naturally. It's the Sandler rule: the problem the prospect brings you is never the real problem, right? Yeah. Yep. Listen, Jackie, I'm conscious we're coming up against time, and I know you've got uh, you, you you know. I want to respect your time. Uh, a couple of very quick questions just to finish it out. Your house is burning down. Your family, your, your kids are safe. Um, you've got your phone and your computer. That's all fine. And you've got time to run back in and gra grab one thing. What would it be? Is my dog included in that? Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it would be either the photo or the picture on my wall because that was um painted by my son of my most favorite person in the world elvis or, it'd be oh, my, wow. or it would be photos yeah I, i'm looking at it here i can see it now that's elvis in full flight all right yeah he really, really, yeah oh huge elvis fan i've been to graceland and everything um went with my, okay. my dad but no my son painted that when he was about 12 and he won a competition yeah. for it He's never ever painted since or probably couldn't it was one of those fluke moments but it's um it's one of my most favorite things. I can consciously think of about five or six times in my life that I cried. That was one. I was 12. I, I was 12. And I remember, I remember exactly where I was when it was announced on the radio. What's your favorite Elvis track? Um, if I Can Dream. I, I, go, I had to go through my head. Yeah, I think I had the melody in my head. It's not one of his... Better known ones, I would have thought, unless maybe you're a, a, a fan, but for general public, if I can. I yeah, can it, one, right? I, I think if you picture the image in the white suit with the red letters, Elvis, yeah. that's yeah. the that's the set, which is quite a famous set. But I think you're right. This I don't think the song would yeah. be very memorable, but oh, my goodness, I love I love them all. There's very few Elvis yeah. songs I don't. I don't love there's, them. My dad sings American Trilogy, so that's another one. Bit, bit of tr a bit of trivia then. So here's here, here's a quiz, and I'm, we're just done. Mm -hmm. um, UK, how many times have they won the Eurovision Song Contest? I'm not a fan. I couldn't tell you. Okay. Do you remember Puppet on a String? Yes. That was written by the same guy who actually lives just down the road from me here, 
uh, who wrote the song My Boy for Elvis. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and, I can, and I can see his face, and just because I'm on the spot... You can't remember. It, it, his name won't come to me, but yeah, he was, uh, he, he, and, he's, and he's written, he's just one of these amazing songwriters. Um, but yeah, he wrote that song, which is an incredible song. Um, my boy, I'm talking, not Puppet on a Strunk, that's fine. It's, but uh, yeah, and Sandy Shaw won that. I think, I don't know if it was the UK's first time to win it, but it's a long time ago. Um, yeah, and and very, very last question. Until it will be, until we win it again, I think. Uh, yeah, and I'm with you there. I, I think we screwed it up the time we sent a puppet to uh, the Eurovision. I think they've never forgiven us for that. So uh, Well, clearly we just need to rip girl skirts off because that's when we did win it. So maybe that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine the uh, <laughs> could you imagine the headlines the next day now if they did that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, what was it? Yeah, so when, when your time comes and you're you shuffle off this mortal coil and there's a book written about your life. What would the title be? Oh my goodness, that's such a hard question. I think it would have to be along the lines of, um, let me think for a minute. It would it'd have to include the fact that yeah, she, she tried, she loved, she left. Oh, I like that. There's your trilogy. She tried, she loved, she left. I like that. That's a great title. Yeah. Listen, Jackie, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been an absolute honor having you on, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed it too.